the die is being cast for who we are and how we show up in our profession. But we do, as lawyers, feel this constant need to be right, to be correct. Our clients are counting on that. That's not just some convoluted issue. We're getting paid to be right. So we feel like we always have to be right. It's hard to admit vulnerability. It's hard to admit that we need to take a break, to slow down, that we're not superhuman. We become cynical of people at work and at home, and we're perfectionists. Welcome to The Law in Black and White, a podcast featuring Jonathan Greenblatt and myself, Brian Parker. We're the co-founders of Legal Innovators, an end-to-end, technology-enabled legal talent management solution, and we've been friends for over 25 years. We're both lawyers with lots of opinions. In this podcast, we look at current events, the business of law, innovation, and diversity in the legal industry. Occasionally, we'll even talk about sports. As the name of our show suggests, we recognize that there may be aspects of the law that require our thinking to go beyond just the black and white of the law. We share what we know, what we've learned, and what we're still learning. Thank you for joining us today. It will be my first solo mission, though this will not become a regular thing. April is Stress Awareness Month, a month dedicated to raising awareness of the negative impact of stress on well-being. It is no surprise that one of the primary sources of stress is work. We can add the pandemic and market-related angst to that as well. Today, we are joined by Kendra Brodine, founder and CEO of Esquire Well, a company devoted to elevating success, well-being, and achievement for forward-thinking lawyers and smart law firms. Kendra has spent over 20 years developing legal talent as an attorney, an attorney coach, a law school development director, all the way up to coaching C-suite executives in attorney development. Kendra is a sought-after speaker, trainer, and advisor, uniquely specializing in lawyer well-being and success. We thank Kendra very much for joining us today, and we are looking forward to this conversation. Intense work stress is a well-known challenge in the legal profession. Attorneys are expected to juggle long hours, heavy workloads, tight deadlines, intense competition, and high stakes, all of which contribute to high levels of stress that can take a toll on mental and physical well-being. A 2021 survey by Bloomberg Law found that over 50% of lawyers reported experiencing burnout in their jobs. And a 2023 analysis by the Washington Post based on data from U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics found that lawyer was the single most stressful profession. With added factors such as the pandemic, not to mention a potential recession, it's even more important that people are prepared with tools and methods to reduce and manage stress. Kendra, why don't we jump into talking about what some of these tools are? But before we get into the tools, maybe we give a little buildup for the audience. I try to describe it a little bit. But can you talk about what you do at Esquire Well and, you know, for the audience, Kendra and Esquire Well have become friends of legal innovators. And and we're proud to say that we have had many conversations in the wellness space with her and been able to learn a lot from the expertise that she brings to the table. But for the audience members that, that don't know, 
Maybe you can share a little bit about yourself and what Esquire Well is doing. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. First, thanks for having me. I was delighted to receive the invitation to be with you today and to get to have this important conversation, particularly this month, as you mentioned, it being Stress Awareness Month. So the timing is perfect. Thank you again for that invitation. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. As you mentioned, we've gotten to spend some time together over the last many months, and I'm thrilled to be in conversations about partnerships and opportunities to develop and support attorneys in every sense of the word, law students, and at every point in an attorney's career to help them think about being holistically successful and not just in the substantive way, but really thinking about how to build practice that is sustainable and long-lasting and healthy. And I think that's where the nexus of our passions lies, uh, really supporting people from the sort of, I hate to say cradle to grave, but it's the first metaphor that comes to mind is as law students come into the profession and they're new and they're excited and they're learning how to become attorneys. And then all the way through for the work I do as they enter the practice and move through the many different stages of their career up until the time that they're thinking about what's next or how to wind their career down. But I spend most of my time, Brian, um, with, I actually teach a law school class. So as we were talking about law students, that's part of the work I get to do through Esquire Well is I teach a law school class on well-being and professional formation. So if I'm thinking along the trajectory of the legal career, my involvement, my hope for impact starts in law school. And then after that, I do a lot of work speaking and coaching and training new associates as they come into the firms. And so a lot of organizations, particularly law firms, engage with me and with my company to provide training. I do right now, I'm looking at a lot of summer associate programs and coming in for their orientation and their programming throughout the summer. And then in the fall, my work will evolve a bit and I get to work with many of the incoming associate classes. So that is the work I get to do again, having done that summer work and then into the fall new associate orientation. And then beyond that, a lot of the work I'm doing is continuing training, continuing programming on well-being, professional development, and a really interesting space that I've been doing more and more work is the intersection of well-being and business development, which is a fun evolution in my work as well. And so in some of those topics, I get to speak to even mid to senior level associates and new partners on their professional development, their well-being, many of the topics that we'll cover today. And then finally, I do quite a bit of speaking and consulting with law firm leadership. And that's also very exciting work for me because I think that's where the real macro change gets made. And I know we'll talk more about that in a little bit, so I don't want to give away everything early on, but it's very exciting to me to see the number of organizations and firms that are engaging with me and with others to be able to talk about well-being and how to support their younger attorneys and their entire teams. So that's the work I do, mostly training, consulting, coaching, and just really doing whatever I can to support the well-being of attorneys. 
Good. Thank you for that overview. I think there's a lot there for for folks to chew on, and I think we'll come back and dig into uh, and dig into some of that. And for our listeners, you might remember that about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, I wrote a uh, column for Law.com or the American Lawyer with. Scott Langley, who runs our performance coaching division, um, and one of our um, then first-year lawyers, a woman named Nadia Lee, who's over at a client, Bactol. And I say that because one of the punchlines that we brought out in the article was, why aren't we starting earlier? And so I love that you were sharing with the audience that you're teaching and you're coaching even in law school, because I think that's where we can bring out some of those habits. So I'm going to try to I'm going to try to come back to that experience, which I think is I don't want to say more forward uh, thinking than than law firms or corporations because certainly people are thoughtful, but I don't know that we've gotten to that point of the curve, which which could produce some real benefits for us. But why don't we ground a little bit more in the challenge? Um, and so the question for you, Kendra, is maybe you can help us understand for lawyers. Uh, what are some of the unique stressors that lawyers do face in their personal and professional lives, right? And I think we've come to realize through this pandemic that we're whole people, right? So one can feed into the other. And how might these stressors be impacting um, mental health? And I know you're not a doctor, but I'm going to expand that to say mental and physical, right? Because when we see stress, it's manifesting or we see it manifesting not only mentally, but physically, but please help the audience understand the nature of some of these stressors. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And I I couldn't agree more that the personal and the professional are tied up so closely together. And I always talk about them together. They say, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I really believe that, that how we show up in our work many times is is replicated and echoed with how we show up personally. And I'm guessing many of your your listeners have have family or personal obligations. They might have caregiving responsibilities either for children or maybe for aging parents or for partners. And there's just a lot going on. And as you've referenced, during the pandemic, we saw how closely tied those things can be. So I I never separate or put up an artificial barrier between the two. I think they're so tied together. And I'm glad you brought up both mental and physical, because as you as you mentioned, first, I am not a doctor. I don't play one on TV. I never purport to be one. And I shy away from giving anything close to medical advice. I do have a background. But, but in you st- probably have stayed in a Holiday Inn at some point. So just the, the requisite joke to throw that out. So you probably are qualified to speak to this uh, uh, as much or more than uh, any of us. Okay, I'll take it. I have stayed at a Holiday Inn. So if that qualifies me, then then I am now credentialed. You are so qualified. <laughs> we know. I just know from our personal experience, how tied up our mental and our physical health can be, and and how many times you get really nervous about something you're doing in work or your personal life. Again, we'll just, they go together, but we're speaking mostly about work right now. You know, if something was coming up, you had a big hearing or a big presentation or a big meeting, you're very nervous. Those stress hormones are surging through your body, and suddenly you have to make a quick run for the bathroom, right? Or your hands are sweating or your heart is pounding. I mean, there's these physical ramifications that we know. We, I'm guessing 
almost everyone that's listening has had those experiences. And yet we sometimes don't connect the two, the emotional and the mental and the physical. And our bodies just aren't meant to have that level of stress hormones surging through them all of the time. So this is, again, without giving medical advice, very much an area in which I have passion around stress because we it's not just a mental phenomenon. It's very much a physical phenomenon, and it can lead to so many negative physical outcomes as well. So to get to the your question, and then we can riff on it from there. Um, what are some of the unique challenges? I think was where we started for for lawyers and law students. Do yeah. you want me to start there, Brian? Yeah, please, and and we'll offer a resource just on the the point. If I could just quickly add on to the end of what you were saying in terms of the physical piece, right? I and and, and others here uh, have been working with a uh, nutritionist, um, and she's she's very good. We'll do some tests down to you know sort of the cellular level, and 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 I'm only I'm going to share this not because I'm so special or unique, but really because I think I'm part of the average. And and what do I mean by that? Meaning that like lots of folks, it's hard for me sometimes to turn off the brain at night, the or running from meeting to meeting, everything that you just said, even how do we, you know, go to the bathroom or get a sandwich between all these meetings. And Zoom has made that even more complicated, right? So we carry this stress if we're not, and hopefully we'll come back to this in solutions with exercise or whatever, letting some of it out we build up these cortisol levels. And then that goes into our nighttime routines. And many of us, again, going back to, can we turn our brains off? We're tossing and turning, we finally get to sleep, or maybe we're staying up late to get those projects done. And so we're collapsing down that seven or eight hours that we want to get. And so that good sleep is what lets those cortisol levels evaporate. When they don't, that can lead to hardening arteries, a bunch of other things. So again, like Kendra, I am not a doctor, but I am listening to, and, and hopefully I can share part of how I approach this when we get to the solutions. That's very real. And if we trace that to what's going on with lawyers in terms of heart incidents, in terms of stroke, in terms of being overweight, in terms of hypertension, just wanted to drop a little bit of a placeholder there so that folks see this stress while we say, oh, I can handle it. I, and I'm, I'm Superman or Superwoman or Superperson as the, as the case may be. Well, um, we don't know if they, whether they say that that stress is that silent ticking time bomb underneath. So sorry to interrupt. And yes, please come back and, and share some of the other stressors. But I do think that the physical to go with the mental is uh, very much got to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, it's all tied up together, Brian. I, I completely agree with you. I've actually been doing a lot of work with a sleep doctor who I know well, and we're in the process of creating some programming as well around sleep, specifically for lawyers, because as you mentioned, it can be so hard to fall asleep, so hard to stay asleep, and so hard to get quality sleep where you're not tossing and turning and waking up with your mind buzzing. And so how do we do that? And yeah, it's all wrapped up together 100%. when that stress level is so high, right? You're, you can't fall asleep. You can't stay asleep. You wake up, you're not well rested, which adds to both your mental and your emotional stress, but also your physical stress. Your body needs to recover. There's this whole rest and recovery piece. This is one thing I, I teach to all of my clients and in my law school classes, our bodies and our minds, which is the muscle that we use. I always say we're professional thinkers. You were talking about 
sports earlier and I think we've chatted about this before. I am not the sporty type, a, a sports metaphor. I'm a little bit more of a music nerd and, and classical music nerd at that. So I do my best with sports metaphors. But that being said, we think about professional athletes. They don't just run themselves into the ground all day, every day. They know that that recovery period is so critical to their performance. So they they sort of stress in a physical way. I just did air quotes, but I realized we're probably only on audio. They stress and, and then they That's rest. Right. They rest after that. That's and, right. and it's so That's critical. Right. And so I always say our brain, like the muscle we use all day is our brain and we have to let it rest. And we'll talk more about this, but this is where I think law firms and any legal organization, if they really want the best from their people, they have to encourage that resting. We cannot do our best when we are pushing that hard all the time. And I think that's one of the challenges to get back to that question. What are the unique issues to uh, so well said. Yeah, lawyers and the profession? We just think we can just push and push and push right up to and beyond the brink of exhaustion. Because if it was our calf muscles or our biceps and we were pushing, pushing, we would feel it physically. And we would probably have to stop because we'd be at some sort of muscle fatigue. With our yeah. brains, we just don't experience that. So we see, we think, oh, I can just keep going. That will never come. That moment will never feel muscle fatigue in our brain. We just keep pushing and the profession is set up with the billable hour, with the expectations of the profession to say, there's never enough. Like you could always work more. And so there's no incentive to stop and rest. And I think that's one of the major issues with the legal profession that makes it particularly challenging. So there's that, that piece that's institutional around hours and expectations and the desire and need to serve clients at a very high, sophisticated, responsive level. And then there's also our own mental or personality quirks as lawyers. And the research, the surveys have shown that we are, we're more cynical than the average population. And that's, I don't think is really surprising when you think about it. We're trained to be cynical in law school, that we're, we're trained to issue spot. We're trained to see the Sorry. risks and the problems. So we become very, very cynical. The research shows that people actually enter law school with the same levels of cynicism and sociability and those sorts of personality traits as the general population. We change over those three years in law school. And that's why, to your earlier point, it's so critical to talk about these issues early on because the die is being cast for who we are and how we show up in our profession. But we do, as lawyers, feel this constant need to be right, to be correct. Our clients are counting on that. That's not just some convoluted issue. We, we're getting paid to be right. So we feel like we always have to be right. It's hard to admit vulnerability. It's hard to admit that we need to take a break, to slow down, that we're not superhuman. We become cynical of people at work and at home, and we're mm -hmm. perfectionists. So I think just to wrap that up, what are the unique stressors of our profession? Structurally, it's set up to be stressful. And then our personalities exacerbate that because of how we become yeah. wired as lawyers. 
Yeah, thank you. That, I think that's an incredible grounding. And, and just to maybe put a period on the end of the sentence, I wonder if you can talk about, because we saw um, in the pandemic that there were lots of studies that say how the pandemic exacerbated some of the things you were talking about, being alone a lot, being remote, being detached, especially for younger lawyers that haven't had the time to develop those relationships. But how do we think about the transition back to work, right? We, we get, I mean, it, we're creatures that get into routines, right? So we're used to being at home. Now our works are starting to tell us to come back two, three, four, some even five days a week. There's childcare, there's errands that we got used to doing. There is the, I don't know, people don't want to say the R word with respect to the economy, but we've certainly at the very least had uh, very choppy markets for a while now. How are all these likely to be impacting on top of the stressors that you just talked about? I often say we live in a stressful profession in a stressful world. So we are already living in this, the stress of the general population in our country, in our world, things that we're facing economically, politically, socially, there are all sorts of challenges and stressors. And then we layer on as attorneys and as law students, wherever we are in the trajectory of our career, we layer on being in a very stressful profession. And so it, it just exacerbates the stress that's already out there all around us. But we are exacerbating that, adding that up, piling that on by being in a profession that has all the challenges that I just mentioned. And then to your point, Brian, we, we worked from home during COVID. We got into routines for more extroverted people was particularly challenging because they really missed connecting with others and being social and having those connections. So that was very stressful to them just from a personality standpoint mm -hmm. and a, and how they like to show up and how they get their energy. That's how we define introvert and extrovert. Introverts get their energy from being alone. They're sort of self-fueling. Extroverts get it from being with other people. Well, when our extroverted friends were stuck at home during the pandemic, they couldn't get that fuel from other people. So that was extra stressful. And for some introverts, we actually saw some parts of them thrived a little bit more because they didn't feel the social pressure to be on all the time. But it also made re-entry now particularly hard. So our extroverts were a little less resistant to coming back into the office because they craved part of that connection. Mm -hmm. Our introverts mm -hmm. were in their glory working from home and right. now they're being pushed back into the office that they didn't necessarily want to be in five days a week in the first place. And now right. to your point, they got in that routine while they were out of the office. So it's extra hard to go back in. So I, I do, I think that we're just piling on these stressors and then wondering why we feel so stressed and sometimes beating ourselves up for feeling so stressed, sort of victim blaming mm -hmm. ourselves. Why do I feel so stressed? Sorry. What's wrong with me? Everyone else seems fine. But you share data that shows not everyone else is fine. Most people are actually really struggling. Yeah, so important. And I think when we get to the solutions here in just a, a few minutes, I think part of the challenge for our law firms, for uh, government agencies, uh, for our corporate legal departments, for all of the people that employ lawyers, is how do we think through uh, hybrid environments? And how do we think through addressing some of these challenges um, in those environments? And, and as, as, we, as we transition, because I do want to go in and talk about how we can recognize some of these uh, signs. 
I want to underline for the audience that everything that Kendra just talked about and all the data that's come out has suggested that these factors for our diverse uh, lawyers um, are two to three times uh, worse. So again, this is not a matter of saying, oh, woe is me, I'm in more pain. But for our employers, I think we have to look at this uh, with uh, clear eyes. And when we're ready to put uh, put solutions together, uh, we have to do that in a very full-throated manner that that recognizes that. Having said that, both generally and your experience specifically, you talked about teaching in school. And the next topic I wanted to get into with you are how can lawyers recognize signs and symptoms of stress and burnout? Um, and what steps can they take to manage? Uh, certainly, and I guess we're, we're, we're stealing a little thunder, but you would have us go back and start earlier, start making those habits for lawyers while they're in law school, before they're full-fledged in the, in the profession. But how do we spot these factors? And then how do we start to manage them? You bring up two interesting points, and I think these are the two challenges we have. One is at the institutional or the profession level, where we have a profession that has some some bad habits around what we expect of lawyers, how we've set up the profession. And I do think there is hope. I was actually having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago about, what do you think? Or is there any progress? Have we made any progress in terms of well-being? And there are some folks out there that would say, no, you know, we're still, the data still shows people are really stressed and are struggling and are burnt out, depressed, anxious, all of these hard outcomes. I am the eternal optimist, but I also see reasons to be optimistic. The fact that I'm teaching a law school course on well-being. And my class isn't the only one. These are sprinkled across the country. More and more law schools are starting to talk about well-being. It's in the new ABA standards for legal education. That's huge. That wouldn't have happened 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. The fact that I'm going out regularly now speaking to law firm leadership and partnership about their own well-being and about the well-being of their associates and their teams. That never would have happened 5, 10, 15 years ago. So we haven't figured out all of the problems, and it is a stressful profession. We're not going to get rid of all of the stress, but the fact that we're talking about it and giving both the systems, the organization's tools, and the individual's tools. So I always see this as twofold. I want to equip both the individuals to have the self-awareness around their own issues, to know when they are struggling and to seek help. And I hope to equip the organizations to be the best places they can be in supporting the well-being of their team members. So to your point, mm -hmm. Brian, institutionally, mm -hmm. profession, from a profession standpoint, yeah, I think we should start the minute people walk into law school. And many schools are starting to do that. Um, building healthy habits early on where there's still as, as stressed as I see my law students being, we know mm -hmm. it's just going to get harder after they walk across that stage and enter the profession. So if we can equip them early on, fantastic. If we can't for whatever reason, then as soon as we can in the profession, ideally from their 
employer, from their firm, from their organization. But mm -hmm. um, maybe there's also the lawyer assistance programs. I want to make sure we're mentioning yeah. those. Every state has a lawyer assistance program. I'm on the board of our Minnesota lawyer assistance program, Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. As we talk about tools and places to go for help, I always want to shout that out and I'll probably mention it again before we wrap up. So how, do, how do we yeah. know about stress? How do we sense it in ourselves? For burnout, at least, we look for three major things. We look for exhaustion, cynicism, and inefficacy. And just in a nutshell, you probably know what exhaustion is, sort of that mental Absolutely. debilitating, mm -hmm. mental and physical fatigue. Not just, I'm tired, I didn't get enough sleep last night, but really exhausted, fatigued. That is a, a warning sign. The next is cynicism, things that used to sort of make you happy and that you used to enjoy. Now don't. You you don't really like people around you. Jokes that you used to laugh at aren't funny anymore. Work that you used to enjoy is now dreadful to you. You're sort of cynical and a bit more negative. And finally, inefficacy is when you start to feel almost imposter syndrome, which I'm guessing you know most of us have heard of at this point and talked about to a very harsh level with ourselves where we feel like we can't do the work, we're stupid, we're ill-equipped, we're incompetent, what we're doing isn't making a difference, really just feeling that complete lack of efficacy in the work that we're doing. So those are what you'll usually hear as the three main symptoms of burnout. And stress is just a precursor to all of that. We mentioned some of the right. physical symptoms. Right. You can feel it in your mind, in your in your heart, in your body when you're just stressed beyond your capacity. And I did want to mention one of one of my popular talks out there is I call it you stress. It's sort of that positive side of stress. It's hard to get into a state of flow when you don't have some stress. Like most of us as lawyers, we enjoy a little bit of intellectual challenge. We enjoy having to get our game on. We like that. And you really can't get into flow and engagement in your work without some stress to nudge you forward. Um, but there's a, a diagram. It's called the Yerkes-Dodson. It's a bell curve. And it goes mm -hmm. from boredom, which is when we're really not pushing our performance at all. And we don't have any pressure to. Like our, our capacity is low. Like we're not challenging ourselves and there's no pressure to do it. We're just bored. And then we get into this sweet spot called eustress, again, the opposite of distress, where we're pushing ourselves and there's some accountability, but we have the capacity, we have the competence to do it. We want to be in that spot. But what happens is when the demands are too high and we're pushing beyond that, we start to push into overwhelm and then eventually into burnout. So we can talk about this is this is the way to manage that healthy level of stress and to avoid getting into the unhealthy levels or how to pull back when we find ourselves tipping over the top of that point. Yeah, well, I love that you went into that discussion like that because what I what I think I find is back to your point about how lawyers are wired where you can talk about well what's the underlying causes and and you know just really connect up the steps it's I think uh, for a lot of people it becomes easier to put your hands around I'm gonna move us into the you know sort of our, our last topics which are related to each other right which are and you talked about it and and was glad to hear you say there's the individual responsibility, then there's the work environment, right? So whether it's a corporate legal department or a larger corporation or a law firm, you know, what are some of the things that they can do to promote this, including 
how do we have some of these conversations that help us take uh, some of the stigma out of, uh, like you said, oh, go get help. Sometimes it's not that easy for folks because they're like, whoa, what are people going to think of me? So I do want to close with that. But for our audience, one of the conversations that Kendra and I uh, were were a part of, and she, you know, jokingly talked about um, the sports analogies. I, I, I love to, as uh, you guys that have listened to us know, uh, make hip hop and sport analogies uh, occasionally. And here's one. Um, and I again, I use myself as an example because. Uh, it's so easy to think, oh, well, you know, this person is in charge or they're senior, they got it all together. Well, I can assure you that they and, and we and, and I often don't. But I was reflecting on a, a, a Jay-Z song uh, where he says, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man, meaning he can't do all the other things in his life if he doesn't take care of the core business. And I thought about that in this economy, driving a startup like we're trying to do here, all the things, I mean, and I have the same things going on in my personal life that others do as well. And I thought about connecting all these pieces up, right? So working with a nutritionist uh, named Gabrielle at the, at, and by the way, we don't have sponsorships for our uh, <laughs> for our podcast. So uh, take, uh, use these or, or, or don't, but Gabrielle over at the well method. And, and again, I talked about the, the measuring, uh, the cortisol, some of those things. How do we have our diet to fuel us with an energy that we, we, we need, but that aren't throwing the bad foods in, right? And using that data and working with a trainer to make sure that physically, you know, that I have the stamina to do the things. And then lastly, and this is, I say this, and I hope I'm reaching someone out there uh, around sleep. Um, and Kendra talked about it in two quick points, right? We have, and I won't name them all, but there's so much technology I use. I use one uh, that will monitor your sleep that talks about how much REM sleep you got at night, how much restful sleep you got. So whatever you're, whether you use the, the, a ring like I do, or you use some other method, being intentional about some of these things. And then what can you do to slow that mind down? Whether it's putting away your electronics a half hour, hour before bed, whether it's breath work, like the Wim Hof method that some people use, or it's meditation. So I just wanted to underline some of those things so that we, you know, I was adding to uh, what Kendra's given you as very tangible things we can do. Let's shift a little bit and talk specifically uh, about the firm and about firm leadership. How can our firms, our corporations promote an environment of well-being? And then two, is there a role for these leaders to play in specifically trying to address the stigma, taking some of the stigma out of, hey, if I need to go see a therapist, that's just okay? Yes. And yes, there is definitely a role for firms and leadership to play and for the individual leaders to play as well in taking the stigma out and in creating a culture of well-being, a culture where there isn't stigma around seeking help, where there is a culture of taking care of oneself. I often use the Desmond Tutu metaphor of the people falling in the river. And there's people sometimes, I need to just memorize this story so I can say it as articulately as, as he said it, but sometimes we we wait until people fall in the river and then you know we hope to drag them out as they're drowning as they've been floating down the river and 
we need people down the river pulling people out. That is those lawyer assistance programs, sort of emergency support when people really have those hard outcomes from all of the stress that they've experienced and the challenges they've experienced. But I like to see many of us, more of us on that preventative end. And that's where I like to do my work through the work I'm doing with organizations or through the programs I'm putting together. You mentioned a trainer, Brian. I literally, after we jump off this podcast together, I'm meeting with my trainer who I do virtually once a week. You know, there's ways right. to, to fit this in. Right. Well, and yeah. schedule it, yes. not just shoehorn it in, right? That's you already right. know you have an appointment. You're right. gonna It's exactly it. I found that I know movement's important to me, but it's the first thing to go when I get busy. So I need to schedule it in to my day. And I can find a half hour to do a virtual workout with my trainer, which is what I do. I can make that work because it's priority and it makes me better personally and professionally. And so I think when our organizations can start to encourage people to say, yes, you can take a half hour, right? You can take, be it over your lunch or in the afternoon because we want you at your best. A, because we care about you. And B, because we know you're going to do better work for the firm, the organization, and our clients when you're well-rested, when you're well-fed. Let's stock our firm cafeterias with healthy snacks and healthy foods and provide those instead of junk food and Red Bull. Let's make sure people are getting enough sleep. Let's respect their boundaries so they don't feel like they have to stay up late in case an email comes in or get up early in case they have to catch one. Just those very basic well-being. I mean, like we know we need to sleep and eat well and move our bodies. But again, it's the first to go on the altar of productivity. So I think our firms can talk about those things. Yeah. And, and just to give credit where it's due, I think um, many of the, because we do a lot of survey work of firms, corporations with legal departments and, and which, you know, which are, have the best demonstrated practices that others can learn from. Um, and I think what, uh, tying back to a point that you talked about with some people wanting and ready to come back to work and some people not, I've seen more amenities being offered, whether it's you're going into buildings that have workout facilities, uh, we try to do that, um, or people are providing gym memberships, or maybe, uh, maybe uh, they will pay for tech subscriptions to some of these um, meditation or things that are monitoring your sleep. I think if, if you could just say maybe a sentence or two as we close out, if somebody's struggling and I say, okay, hey, you know what, go talk to someone, how can we get at the stigma as leaders in the legal industry? How do we get at the stigma of that? Because if I say to someone what I just said, but they feel, oh my God, somebody may uh, find out or somebody may judge me or somebody, it may impact my promotion. It's going to put a little dilute, right? It's going to throw some cold water on their ability to follow through with that. I, I wonder what you might share with us. Yeah. Two things come to mind, Brian, psychological safety and role modeling. Mm -hmm. In a nutshell, mm -hmm. we have to make our cultures safe enough psychologically that we can admit vulnerability, that it's okay to admit that we need help, that we made a mistake, that we're fallible, that we're human. We need to treat each other like human beings and respect and appreciate and have compassion for the humanity of each other. And that's psychological safety when we feel like we can be human together in all the fullness and richness and vulnerability and frailty that that brings. And very closely tied to that is role modeling because it's on leadership to create psychological safety. And they do that through their actions, their words, 
and the way they show up. So if a leader is willing to say, yep, I went to therapy last week, suddenly that makes it okay to not only go to therapy, but to talk about it. If a leader goes down to the gym and takes a half hour, an hour and works out, suddenly other people feel like that's okay. But to your point, what we see sometimes is it's nice that firms are offering gym memberships now, but if they're pressuring their associates to never take time for themselves, those gym memberships go unused. Mm -hmm. Those apps mm -hmm. go unused. Firms are subscribing to my Esquire Well Academy where I do monthly programming mm -hmm. around well-being topics. But I always say you have to make sure you're encouraging people to use this. Give some billable hour credit for well-being activities, yes. for people taking right. care of themselves. Put your money where your mouth is. Otherwise, they're just platitudes. So we need to really incentivize people to take care of themselves and show that it's okay by leaders leading the way, going first, mm -hmm. and creating mm -hmm. that psychological safety for others to do the same. Well, I appreciate that. And we're going to move into the maybe inartfully so kind of given the heaviness and importance of our topic to go into uh, pet peeves and that sort of thing. But I do want to thank you, Kendra. This is really important. And I think for the audience, uh, we will work our show producers will put some resources into the show notes. Uh, one that, that Kendra talked about. And I should say this, if there's anybody out there who's gotten to the point where they're considering any sort of self-harm or something, we're going to drop, um, we're going to drop a website and a number in there. Uh, certainly, we don't want any of, of that kind of thing, but also other resources to be proactive, as Kendra is, is, is well stated here. So as we uh as we move from this important topic and i should say we hope that we'll have kendra come back and, and drill down more deeply on some of these topics because i think the culture that she's talking about of creating i like that the creation of psychological safety and actions that we take and modeling that behavior are things that we could drill into more deeply so now that you've had uh, 45 minutes or 50 minutes or so to noodle this topic or uh, any pet peeves that you would share uh, with us, uh, just so people know the human and the fun side of Kendra as well. Yes. Well, thanks again for having me, Brian. And I would love to be a part of any future conversations. We just scratched the surface of this very important topic. And I'd love to continue the conversation with you. And in a spirit of vulnerability, I always say I try to be an open book with everyone. I think it's yeah. important that we talk about what look, you know, we talked about, we think everybody else is doing fine. And sometimes it's really important just together in our collective humanity to yes. show where we're struggling, where things are not working for us, you know, what makes us human. And suddenly everyone gets the chance and feels freer to talk about that. So like you said, to my own humanity and my own pet peeves, I have been noodling this over the course of our conversation. The first one that comes to mind, I'm a prolific blinker user. I think it's very important to signal when driving um, and right. And I, I it yes. is a little bit of a pet peeve. I, I, in my relationship with my husband, he's definitely a little bit more, he'll kind of yell at people. I wouldn't say road rage, it doesn't go that far. I try to give grace and compassion, but when people don't right. signal, right. I have a hard time with that. It's just not very considerate. And I like to consider myself a very considerate person. So people who don't use blinkers or otherwise indicate their intentions, that's very hard for me. I work on that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that does. I'm probably closer to your husband on that, but I'm going to work on trying to give people grace as you've uh, as you've eloquently taught us. I will give two pet peeves uh, since John's not here. I figured I could use one of his too. Uh, 
uh, they always get on me for too many pet peeves. Anyway, um, one has to do with the cherry blossoms. And so those of you who are in D.C. and I guess other parts where these, uh, where these beautiful trees grow are lamenting, as I am, that it's always too short. They're here with us only for a precious few weeks, and it's uh, just so beautiful. Uh, so I, I guess I salute the beauty, and it's a welcoming of spring. I wish they were around longer. The second one, and uh, to return to basketball a little bit, has to do with women's basketball and women's hoops. And uh, no pet peeve with them or women's basketball, but I was surprised at the level of collective surprise at how good this year's March Madness on the women's side was good. Now, I'll just say this and I'll jump off my soapbox. We should stop being surprised. Uh, there are some of these women that can just flat out ball. And it was one of the most entertaining tournaments that I've seen in a long time. And hats off to both of the teams being Iowa and LSU who were in the finals and just gave a, a tremendous. I hope that that will put more spotlight on that sport because uh, it's most certainly uh, deserved. So audience, thank you so much uh, for being with us in this important topic on Stress Awareness Month. We'd like to thank our guest, Kendra Brodine uh, of Esquire Wealth for joining us today for such a great conversation, legal innovators, and certainly John and I, thank you for listening to The Law in Black and White. And we hope that you enjoyed this discussion. You'll be able to find us at legal-innovators.com for even more insights. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Please do hit like, send around to our podcast and follow Legal Innovators on social media to see what we're up to. In the meantime, be safe and have a great month.